Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. My name is Harriet Blevins, and I'm so happy you're here today. As always, I want to thank you for your time. I know there are a million other things you could be doing, so I appreciate your willingness to join me today. I want our time together to always feel like we are in mid-conversation with one another. Today, I want to take us into the wrap-up of our current series called Why. We have been taking a look at different times and reasons in our lives that we may have all the why questions for God. We are going to end basically where we began, in the goodness of God. We have landed squarely in the foundational place that God is good. No matter what is going on down here on the crazy earth, God is still good. His goodness can never be exaggerated. I believe in the days in which we are finding ourselves living, there is a big need to represent or represent God to the world around us. As we have journeyed through some of the whys of life, we have learned how to frame these questions through the lens of God's goodness. He really is good. That's the biggest point we have to settle in our own hearts if we are to represent or represent him to this world around us, even in the face of hard and ugly circumstances, he is good. All around the world, we hear prophecies and words of judgment. To be honest with you, that's very easy to do. It actually takes nothing in the supernatural realm to generate negative words of judgment and even to give uh, false type prophecies. Just look at the world around us. But if we were to look at this world and all that is happening and still be able to declare his goodness, his love, his favor that rests on his people, now that takes an incredible amount of supernatural revelation. I mean, if we are all just retelling all the bad things, then we're no different than the media. We're no different than the news, basically. So today, I want us to take a look at a scripture. We're going to find ourselves in Luke 9, beginning with verse 51. I'm going to read a few verses to you today. It says, and it came about in that when, when the day was approaching for his ascension, that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this is Jesus. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and they entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. And they did not receive him because he was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, 
Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, I want to stop right there because how many times in our lives has something been going on wrong? And we know it's wrong. We know it's unjust. We know it's evil. We know it's wrong. And we are just like, God, I want to call down fire from heaven and just smite all these crazy bad people. I mean, I know I have thought that way before. I bet you have too. Okay, we're reading on in verse 55. But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them. He said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. Verse 56, for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And with that, they went on to another village. Wow. So when the disciples wanted to react to the world, Jesus basically said, You can't do that without my anointing. You're going to have to do that from another spirit because bringing destruction in my name because people reject me, that isn't me at all. It's actually demonic in origin. That's what he was saying. And to be honest with you, that's quite heavy. But Lord... Elijah did it. I mean, why can't we do it? Remember over in the Old Testament, Elijah called down fire from heaven? But I want to say to you, that's because Elijah was moving and ministering in a different time. He was before the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus bore all the judgment on his own flesh and body so that it would not be released upon the cities of the earth again or the people. He made it possible today for us to be able to go into the world and release life, release hope, and give people a future and a a, a desire to even be in the future. We know that some testimonies we heard from 9-11 here in America from people who were watching the buildings burn were that they just knew God was going to smite America for all of her great sin that this hour, this was an hour of judgment and it had been a long time in coming. But I want to ask you, do you really believe that's prophetic insight? Because it's not biblical. Have we become so impressed with darkness that we add to the problem by our declarations, our prayers that are soulish, and our negative responses? Let me ask you today, is Jesus not the desire of nations Could it be that we need to be a church that believes it's possible to accomplish the very assignment that Jesus gave us in the nations? Remember in Romans 8.22, it tells us that the earth is groaning. It is waiting to be healed. Water is longing to be walked on again. Now, I'm not saying we should try to create a utopia here on earth, but I am also not discounting the fact That creation is really affected by God's presence, which rests upon his people who have truly discovered who they are. When we have a deeper understanding of his goodness and his heart towards the earth, it will cause us to long for what he longs for, which is to see people healed, to see them delivered, and to watch them get set free, to see the nations saved and fulfill the calling on the earth. If we find ourselves not wanting or desiring these things, then maybe we aren't completely sold ourselves on the goodness of God. See, the life of the believer is not meant to be measured by unanswered prayers. It's actually quite the opposite. Not getting the answers is actually not acceptable, and it should not become our norm. 
Sometimes we like to just say, well, you know, God is just mysterious. When we don't know what He's doing, that's what we say. We say, well, He's just mysterious. I'm, I'm not supposed to know what He's doing. But see, those who spent time with Jesus, they were always changed by the ongoing encounter that they had with Him, by their relationship with Him. And those who fail to see who He is clearly just need a really fresh encounter with people who authentically represent Him. And there is mystery. It is impossible to understand and to explain how Jesus was totally God and totally man. I mean, that's the greatest mystery of all. While on the earth, Jesus did nothing as God. That's important for you and I to see that. I'm going to say it again. While he was on the earth, Jesus did nothing as God. He chose to live with the restrictions of man. John 5:19 tells us that Jesus himself said, "The Son can do nothing of himself." In this, he was our example. He was trying to give you and I a living example. Even though he is the eternal son of God, he chose to live with the limitation of a man so that he might give you and I something to actually follow. Now, let's be real. If Jesus did all his miracles as God, I'm still very impressed with that. But that, my friend, is an impossible example for me to follow right, and for you to follow. From the beginning, God has set the stage for you and I to co-labor and partner with Him, us as imperfect people. So Jesus's example in this has now put two conditions on me and on you. Number one, Jesus had no sin. I, myself, am hopelessly lost without Jesus in a sea of sin, but He has delivered me out of all of it, so that because of his act, his blood has made me clean. And I now have met this first qualification, and so have you. Number two, Jesus was entirely empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now that's a good one to get, because as a man, he was powerless, but the Spirit of God came upon him in his water baptism. We see that in Luke 3. And right after that, we see Jesus walking in power. See, Jesus' life was an illustration to what one man could do who had no sin and who was entirely empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus' success in ministry doesn't change because not everyone I pray for gets healed. See, he is the standard, not me. He is the leader and I the follower. Any discrepancies there are on my end, not on his end. It is actually a theological crime to create a doctrine built on my own disappointments and my own personal discouragements. God has challenged me to stop lowering the standard of the Bible to fit my personal experiences. The ministry of miracles has to stay Christ-focused, not focused on what has personally happened in mine and your life. Shame and guilt... They are efforts of the enemy to get us, you and I, to take an unnatural responsibility for what God has called us to do. Heal the sick, we know all that, etc. But but he wants us, the enemy wants us to take that on as though it were our ability to do so. 
He tries to lead us into greater frustration, and that then ends us up in a place called unbelief. So, with all this being said, how do we see his goodness show up in miraculous ways? Well, Bill Johnson says in his book, The Goodness of God, that we should do a couple of things. The first is we should cry out to God for an increasing breakthrough when we are in our private world. When you're in private, begin there to cry out to God that you can see and experience an increase in breakthrough in your own life, in your private life. And then number two, we learn to take risks in public. See, when breakthrough comes, give God all the glory. If there isn't a breakthrough, go back to the private place in prayer and cry out to God there again. Followed again by risk that we take in public, that means in front of other people, and this should be the cycle of our life on earth as we look for and anticipate seeing his goodness play out before our very own eyes. Now, when I was young and I was beginning to walk with the Lord, I would hear people talk about something called the blessed hope, which they were meant by that term, they meant the return of Christ. Now, this was just following on the heels of the the Jesus movement, the Jesus revolution. Um, Just interesting, you know, that we've just had that movie come out that kind of shows us a picture of all that, what that was like in the 60s and 70s. And so what is interesting, though, is that when the conversation turned from uh, having a hope for societal change to the blessed hope of Jesus's return, the revival stopped. Now, why was that? See, when we believe and live as though things are just going to get worse and worse and worse, and then finally, Jesus will return and rescue us. When we do that, we often lay down our earthly assignments to build the kingdom of God here and now. That's our assignment here on the earth, is to here and now be busy about building the kingdom of God. So when we do that, we give up territory and we give up ground. Many times when people believe this way, they even feel it's a waste of time and money to pursue education, to pursue positions of influence, because Jesus is coming back anyway to rescue us all in any moment. Why would we waste all our time studying and going to school if Jesus is returning maybe tomorrow? And when this thought is prevalent, An appetite is created that turns our focus from the influence of the King of Kings on this planet to us leaving the planet to go be with the King of Kings. The hope of a generation is then undermined and lost when we believe and live this way. All the young men and women who would be teachers, professors, They could have brought about change in an educational system that now is at work with the very kingdom of God. Lawyers, judges, politicians, business leaders who never stepped into their position to lead and influence as they could have. Our present chaos that we're living in right now in America in part results from the errors of this time and this era where there's no hope for the future. And whenever hope for the future is absent, there is always a lack of faith. Sadly, during this time I'm speaking of is also when abortion became legalized in America. And now we have lost almost 65 million American children to this horror. When those who are left in charge, and I'm talking about the church, 
lose faith for tomorrow, what we do is we sacrifice the lives of those coming along behind us, the generations coming behind us. We are called instead to occupy till he comes. We are not called to sit around waiting on the sweet by and by. I want to read to you a passage out of Isaiah 66. We're going to go to verse 8. It says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a nation be born in a day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Can a nation be saved in a day? Now I want to say to you, the prophet Isaiah is not looking for an answer. He was looking for a testimony. A generation who would bring him, the Lord, the fruit of their labors, which would be a nation. See, if Jesus is the desire of nations, then we as his body should become desirable to nations by serving them with the very solutions from heaven. See, the church has been answering the the questions that the world actually isn't asking. As we take courage and boldness and answer the questions they are asking, a favor will come upon our lives. We will begin then to see the tide shift. May the next generation coming behind us run with passion and fervor for the kingdom of God. We want to see that released and seen and experienced here on the earth. And I will say to you, nothing less will do. We must be ruined for anything less. That's why our lives matter. That's why our education matters. That's why our politics and our policies matter. That's why abortion matters. That's why it all matters. We are called to show up in this life with the answers and represent Jesus to a world who doesn't even know they want him yet. So I want to pray for you today as we close out our Why series. You may have heard something along the way that really sparked an interest and a desire to know more. And we all know that God has exactly that for us. So dear Jesus, we thank you for coming and showing us the way. Thank you for being the perfect example here on the earth for us. Help us all to step into our part of the great story. I ask you to give us your anointing so we can move about earth in a way that truly makes a difference. Let us see with, you, with our own eyes your goodness and your breakthroughs and that anything is possible with you. Show us may, where we may have lost some hope and inject us again with the hope that doesn't disappoint. We love you most, Jesus, and we thank you for being the kindest one we know. Let us see another revival break out here in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, okay. So, you know, I like to leave you with a tip of the day. So here it is. Lately, I've really been getting into something new for me and it's called thrifting. Now, this may not be news for some of you, but the turn of the financial picture and the inflation here in America has become quite noticeable for everyone. So I began to think about my own consumerism in a different sort of way, and I almost like to make a game out of it. I have discovered that I absolutely love the thrill of the hunt. 
Now, you may be a little bit concerned about all the stuff, especially if you're a minimalist. You may be like, oh my goodness, what do you do with all the stuff? But I want to, you know, relieve your mind, put your heart at ease. I don't ever bring stuff into my house without taking some stuff out of my house. I want to, if I'm bringing it in, I got to be bringing some stuff out. So I want to at least take out at least as much as I'm bringing in. I also like the idea of being a good steward. I like, I like to think about it like repurposing, recycling, reusing, and I think that's an honorable thing. I also have a rule. I'm buying no new clothes hangers, no new hangers, no new clothing hangers in my house. So when I run out of hangers, I know it's time to go through, purge and prune, let stuff go, you know, Marie Kondo, the whole thing. You know, thank it for its service and then let it go. I also don't want to bring in other people's germs. So when I make a purchase, I take it directly to the washing machine or to the dry cleaners, and that keeps everything good and clean before it comes into my home and closet. I like to make it a game and see how long I can go in between target trips. So this week, take an inventory of what you have. Make a plan to let go of what you don't need or what is no longer servicing you, and then take yourself to the Goodwill or other spots where you can thrift. It may be a yard sale, a tag sale, an estate sale, an antique store, a consignment shop. You get the picture. I bet you're going to find that it is as much fun as I do. So I want to say to all of you, happy thrifting, and that's all I have for today. I will see you next time here on the Sisterhood and Go Co. podcast, and I hope you go and make your life awesome. <music>